questions and answers about prayer. That's next right here on Growing Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. Zion, now filled with hands and in this place got to dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son. Selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love and harmony. I said let this world know me by your love. I pray because I must, said C.S. Lewis, who went on to say, it's kind of like breathing. Someone else said, it's a longing of the soul, an admission of one's weakness. Still, it begs the question, why pray? Why should you pray? Or how should you pray? And what does prayer accomplish? Well, we'll get some answers for these questions and more today on Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. We'll find those answers in 1 Timothy chapter 2, and we invite you to join us there as Pastor Ed begins by reading this scripture. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, Paul writes, Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. A friend of mine who's a pastor sent this to me because he said the men in his church needed it. Maybe we do here. The topic is top 10 gifts your wife does not want for Christmas. If you're not married, just listen up, guys. You might need it anyway. Number 10, a car wash kit. Number nine, a table saw. Doesn't need one. Number eight, a gift card from Pep Boys. Number seven, a case of oil. Now we're getting to the difficult ones. A vacuum cleaner or any other appliance. Trust me on that. Not good. A wrench and socket tool kit. New outboard motor for fishing boat. She doesn't want the Rambo trilogy on DVD. She doesn't want a new satellite dish with sports package, and she definitely does not want a three-year membership to Weight Watchers Clinic. (laughs) That one was almost too hot to read. I just barely got through it. (laughs) Okay. We are working our way through a, a short letter, two of them, First and Second Timothy, written to a young pastor. It's 2,000 years ago almost, and he is in his first pastorate. And Paul has written to this young man, Timothy, in the city of Ephesus. It's a beach city. It's a beautiful spot on the western shore, something like a Southern California city. He is taking on a difficult area. It'd be like opening a church in Santa Monica or something like that, right? Or Hollywood, West Hollywood. So Paul is 
writing probably from Macedonia because he says he's going there to Macedonia and he tells this young man to stay in Ephesus. And we saw last time that Paul called himself kind of an amazing thing. He said he was the chiefest of sinners and that he was grasping that the grace of God was responsible for everything good in his life. It's later on in his life and he's getting it that it's all grace. It's all about the gift of God to us. Nobody deserves it. Nobody earns it. And Paul recognizes he was the great persecutor of the church, and God saved him. Now, earlier in his writing, more than 20 years earlier, 1 Corinthians 15, he said that he was the least of the apostle of the twelve. And then after about 20 years in Ephesians chapter 3, he said that he was the least of the believers, of the saints. But now, in this last chapter, verse 15, he said he was the chiefest of sinners. That doesn't mean that he was running around going crazy. It just means that he recognized that God had done everything that was good in his life. And that he, Paul, was meant to be an encouragement for us. If Paul can use, be used by God, then God might even want to use us. That's the idea. I am a sinner saved by grace. Most of us in this room can say that. Maybe some of us aren't saved yet. Hopefully you won't leave this morning until you are. But saved by grace. God offers that free gift. That's what grace is. Charis, a gift. And he changes us from the inside. Sometimes not as fast as we'd like him to, but he is in the process. We are in process. He is changing us. Now, this section of scripture has a very powerful verse in it. Paul said, we read, God desires all men to be saved. God wills. It is God's intent that all people everywhere would be saved. This is probably the most forceful passage in scripture that deals with evangelism, telling other people about God and the mission field, going into other worlds. We're told that it is God's desire and that that's tied to the subject of prayer. This is very much about prayer, that God wants us to pray that people might be saved. That's the idea. Now, few take these verses seriously enough by saying that God wants all men to be saved, it's clear that God sees all people as lost, that all have sinned, that everyone is a sinner, and without salvation, we've come into the world. So there has to be this moment, there has to be this decision, there has to be this statement of God, I surrender, forgive my sins, take my life. Now, no true biblical theology, a theology about God, studying about God that has to do with the Bible, can teach that God takes pleasure in the death of any person who is not saved. Scripture is very clear about that. In fact, God says that very thing, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, of those who have never surrendered to him. So this more fundamentally speaks of one of the great wonders in my mind and in many people's mind about God. Two words, God cares. That's a mystery. No ancient sage, no modern philosopher or theologian is able to give an adequate reason for why God cares. God has everything. 
He's all-powerful. He knows everything. He's not lacking in anything. Why does he care about 7 billion people on this planet and all those that will live before and those that are coming after? Because we're made to be able to respond to his love. John tells us, the Apostle John, that God is love. That God has that quality. It's his character. And love is only love when it's given away to someone else. And so his choice is to give love away to as many human beings as will take it. What's the problem? Free will. He made us sentient beings, the ability to say no. We'll come back to that. But this idea of God would, he desires that all men would be saved is tied to this subject of prayer. The first three verses about prayer. Then four through six about salvation, about being saved. And then he returns again about praying to pray in seven and eight. So let's jump in. I love this section of scripture. I hope it impacts you as well as it has me. First of all, the first priority, he tells Timothy, verse one. Therefore, I exhort, I encourage, first of all, of first importance, the most important thing, that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and the giving of thanks be made for all men, all people, all persons. So Paul is telling Timothy that before you do anything, pray. And he gives us four of the seven nouns in the Greek language, words for prayer in one verse. There's four different kinds of prayers that he's outlining here. But his first point is that prayer is not optional, that it's not something that I get to after I've done everything else. It's not something to try after I've tried everything else, because I used to do that. And I was having a discussion with a bright young man this week, and he was asking about this subject of prayer. And I remember this old illustration. Years ago, I heard it of a, a young man up in the Pacific Northwest. He's looking for a job, and he comes to a logging camp, and he asks if he can have a job. And the foreman said, you have a chainsaw? He says, sure, it's in the back of my truck right now. He says, go get it and cut that tree down. The kid gets it, starts it up, goes up and goes after the tree. And he's going away, and the foreman stops him and says, great, you can start Monday. And so he starts Monday. And he begins to work really hard. He wants to keep this job. He needs it. And he works his way all the way through to Friday. And the boss is handing out checks, hands him a check with a pink slip saying that he's being fired. And the kid was stunned. He said, how can it be that I've worked as hard as I've ever worked in my life? I didn't take a lunch break. I didn't take any breaks. I just worked all the way through. And the foreman said, well, let me look. And he keeps a, a tally of all the logs cut. And he said, well, the first day you cut more than my best men. The second day you were right even with my two best men. The third day you dropped behind about half of the group. On Thursday and Friday, you were the lowest production of any of the guys on the crew. I'm sorry, I got to let you go. The kid said, I can't understand it. How can this be? I'm working like a dog. And the farmer said, let me see your chainsaw. So the kid gets his chainsaw, brings it to him, and he feels it. And he said, when's the last time you sharpened this chainsaw? He said, well, last week. I've been too busy to stop and do it. Hmm. That's a parable about prayer. That when I don't take time to pray because I'm too busy... I guarantee you, I will have to pray later because the day will be such a disaster that I'm crying out to God, God, what's wrong? Dead silence. And then he says, Ed, 
Good to hear your voice. Where have you been? Didn't hear you this morning. You know, you normally start out with praying. That's what Paul is saying here. Pray, give it priority. No prayer, no power. Much prayer, much power. You can't do anything of lasting value without having first prayed. That's what he's saying here. Almost anything is easier than prayer. Let me be brutally honest. I'd much rather witness to people, share the gospel, study, counsel, administrative things in the church. All of that is easier for me than prayer. I've never met anybody that said, I pray enough. <laughs> Can I have a show of hands? Hmm, nobody in this service either? <laughs> we all should pray more. Now, I don't see that to put guilt on you, just the opposite. Okay, nobody in here feels like they're doing it enough. Paul is encouraging us to pray because it has something to do with impacting the world, people being saved. God wants us to pray so that he can intervene in people's lives, and he gives us four ways. We'll look at those four words in just a moment. But we wanted to pause here and thank you for tuning in and to acknowledge those who may have just joined us. You're listening to Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. Now with part two of today's lesson from 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning with the first of our four words on prayer, here's Pastor Ed. Supplications is the first word. The Greek word is diasis, and it means to seek a need. And it actually could be between people. It's to have a request of some kind of felt need and ask someone for it. In this case, obviously, it's asking God about it, either personally or corporately. God wants us to do that, that when we have a need, he wants us to ask him. Simple. Second word, prayer, sounds like it's just about this. Prosyokia. And it, it's, the Greek word is where we get our word prostrate ourselves, to put our face on the ground, our forehead on the carpet when we pray. It has everything to do with worshipfully addressing God. It's okay to say, God, I need to talk to you. It's okay to be comfortable with God. In fact, he wants us to be. But there is a component of it that is awe, <laughs> amazing. The creator of the universe is stopping and letting me talk to him and make requests of him? That's this word, wonder, an act of worship. Third word, intercession, entrostius. It means a conversation, a very personal conversation, which is God inviting us to have a conversation with him, that he wants us to be comfortable to approach him. Remember he said, Hebrews boldly come into his throne room of grace and find help in time of need. So he's saying, come. It means a fellowship with God that's enjoyed. So we're not supposed to be trembling in his presence. We are supposed to respect, but he also wants us to be comfortable. In chapter four, verse five, he uses this word to mean comfortable with God to pray for others. And that's really what it means in this context too, because he's working towards this concept of God desires, wills that all people would be saved. Fourth one, giving you thanks. We think we know what that means, but in this case, it's actually a form of prayer, eucharista. And it means to give thanks for something, not necessarily something you've received in answer to prayer. It's just being grateful, thankful. King David wrote a lot of the Psalms that way that he was just thankful for the Lord. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, let all within me bless his holy name. I'm so thankful for what you've done for me, Lord. 
just being grateful. I mean, God has put us in an astounding place. It helps me to look at science, nature, biology. But I mean, this world could have been very plain. It could have been gray. Didn't even have to be in color, right? Could have been black and white, white, like old photographs. But instead, we get this fantastic set of blues and purples and pink and sunsets that are astounding. The sunrise this morning was astounding. We live in a wonderful, wonder-filled world. God made it that way for our enjoyment. I mean, we have these senses. Food didn't have to taste good. Could have been like an old Star Trek movie, you know? You just uh, like drinking wallpaper paste or something. But instead, we have all these amazing, we have this palate on our tongue that discerns more than 30,000 different kinds of tastes. Bite into a ripe strawberry and it explodes in your mouth. Why? God made it that way. He made this world to be anthropomorphic friendly. He made it for people. This world is created for you and for me. That's what he says. So he is the God who has given us much, and we should be thankful for it, made for all men. The object of prayer, for whom we are to pray, for all kinds of people, all people everywhere. Now, what he's saying is that no person on earth is beyond the reach of God. You know, sometimes we get discouraged and there's people in our lives that we've tried to share with or we're around, we just know they're violently opposed to God or anything to do with church. And there's always a story. We all have a story. You know, some pastor, some church that failed to do what they should have done or took advantage of us, and that's horrible. We agree. But that doesn't mean the real thing isn't there. It is there. And God is saying, pray for people that are damaged damaged goods that are scarred, that are carrying baggage. He says, come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come and receive from me. So his call is for all. Now he gets a little more specific in the next verse. For kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For kings for presidents, for prime ministers, for congressmen, for senators. Really, pastor? That's what Paul says. Well, what about bad ones of those? Pray for them. Now, all you have to do is look at the timing of this. There was a emperor from 54 to 68 whose name was Nero. Caesar Nero was the emperor at this time. He was the worst of the worst. He burned down Rome about the same time this letter was written, tortured it because he wanted to build a new city. For some reason, the people were upset about it. And so he blamed the Christians for it. And it set off persecution throughout the Roman Empire against Christians. Paul says, at the same time, pray for those in authority over you. Yes, pray for them. People that you don't agree with. Let me make it simple. If you're a Democrat, pray for Republicans. If you're a Republican, pray for Democrats, okay? Wow, what a concept that God would have us pray for each other. Yes. So, Paul says, those in authority, pray for our leaders. Pray, 
because it's a tough job. I don't know why anyone would want to be president of these United States. At least during my life, no president has escaped great ridicule. I don't care how good I thought they were or other people did. It's just a tough job. Then add to that, Congress, governor, state, don't criticize, pray. That's what Paul is saying that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. Quiet here means the absence of external disturbances, frustrations, and the word peaceable means the absence of internal ones, stuff going on in our own heart and mind, struggling in life. We are to pray for foreign governments, this says, that we are to pray for nations that are close to the gospel, Vietnam, Muslim countries, China, that God would open the door and protect the missionaries that are there. We have missionaries from our church in those places. And we are to pray for those marginal countries that God would continue to leave the door open so there wouldn't be wars and then missionaries would have to flee. One of our missionary families had to flee just the last couple of months, an African nation that was Muslim. So we need to pray because God is concerned about the whole world. Now, the word godliness appears often in Paul's letters to Timothy. It will appear six times. Paul is giving a call back to godliness. He means the sanctified life. What? A life that's set aside. That You say, God, I give you my life. I give you my hands. We're going to see that in a minute. That God wants us to give over to him. You don't do it once. <laughs> you do it over and over again. Jesus is Lord. Really? Today? <laughs> this morning? Of everything? Okay, Lord, forgive me. You're not Lord. Be Lord again, please. Godliness refers to a proper attitude and conduct before God, that God sees everything. And then the second word, reverence, means before other people. You are a witness. People know that you're going to church. People know that you have a Bible. People know that you claim to be a believer. And so, God says, walk like it. Paul says, yes. Why? Verse 3. Because this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. You want to make God happy? Do these things. That's what this says. Pray for those in authority, government. Pray for favorable conditions that the gospel would go out on the earth because God likes it to happen, and he's pleased with us when we do it. Why? The next verse. Because he desires all men, verse 4, to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. This is an astounding, I think it's a stunning verse. Living Bible, he wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. NIV, he wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. It is God's longing. Lots of other verses say the same thing. John 3.16, most famous one, right? God so loves the world so that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever, who's a whosoever? Whosoever, that's pretty broad. That's anyone. Anyone who would believe on him would be saved. Pastor Ed Ray concluding today's Grow in Grace with perhaps the most famous verse found in the Bible a verse that promises salvation to you. You need only believe in Jesus, God's Son and Savior. Get today's study on CD by calling us toll-free 
at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. You can also listen to the program online at thepackinghouse.org. Again, we're at thepackinghouse.org. Now, we don't like to make a big deal about it, but we're a listener-supported ministry. And as you give today, you're invited to request a copy of Elizabeth Elliot's book, Through Gates of Splendor. In January of 1956, five missionaries gave their lives in the jungles of Ecuador and made headlines around the world. You'll be encouraged and blessed as you read this compelling and inspirational true story. Allow it to spark your passion to get the gospel of Jesus out to those who are without Christ. It's yours for a gift of any amount, so call us right now at 844-77-GRACE. Again, that's 844-77-GRACE. And we're always touched when we hear about the great things that God is doing through this radio ministry. If you're growing in grace as you study alongside us, would you mind shooting us an email today? Our email address is packinghouseradio at aol.com. And then join us back here next weekend for Grow in Grace as we turn to 1 Timothy. In the meantime, let's keep looking to Jesus as we grow in His grace. This program is brought to you by the Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands. Zion, now filled with hands And in this place gotta dwell with man Sick be healed and the crippled stand Singing hallelujah My kingdom built with the blood of my son Selfless sacrifice for everyone Faith, hope, love and harmony I said let this world know me by your